As you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, just taking a step back real quick, reminding us where we were in chapter 10. Because the last time we met in chapter 10, we, we came across this amazing nugget in chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Remember the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the contrast between the Old Priest and the New High Priest, Jesus Christ, the contrast between the old sacrifices for sin, the blood of goats and bulls, right, which in Hebrews 10, 4 says it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Well, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That is from the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead, verse 27, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe the punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which Jesus was sanctified and has then insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Well, if we were to just end right there, I think that would kind of take us all at a kind of a gasp. And we would think to ourselves, I hope this is not me. I hope, may it never be, that I would continue to willfully go on sinning to the point and to the extent that, that the sacrifice from, from Jesus Christ himself would have no effect on me. And then the real expectation that I should have out of life then, after death, is an expectation of judgment. Why? Well, because I trampled the Son of God under my feet. Because I, I insulted the Spirit of grace. I insulted the Spirit of a free gift. You, you offered me, you gave me this free gift to pay for my sins. And, and, I, and I spit on it. I laughed at it. I insulted it. How? Again, verse 26, by willfully continuing to sin. Well, keep this in mind. And thank the Lord for the continuation of more verses. Verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, after being awakened by the Spirit of God, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. 
For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But, 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 my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. As we transition from chapter 11 to chapter, or from chapter 10 to chapter 11, we're we're reminded that there is judgment. There is a judgment for unrepentant sin. But, but, even even though there's an expectation, even to those who are enlightened, that there, there will be trials, there will be heartache, there will be suffering. But God's righteous don't live that way. Don't miss this. God's righteous people live by faith. Each and every one of you, each and every one of us will have trials. We will suffer. How are we going to make it? How are we? And, and these are two, two things now. And this is what's interesting about chapter 10. First, we have you willfully sin. That's in one hand. And the other hand, life is going to be hard. And you're sitting there going, this is my two choices. <laughs> right? It's like, well, I don't, I don't like either one of those. Where, where, where's the hope? Where's... Um, where's the expectation of, of something better? Well, that's our transition. And this is what's so beautiful about chapter 11 is, is we, we, we kind of get a spanking, right, in, in chapter 10. We, we get a, um, a, a gentle reminder. But then chapter 11 gives us a prescription for how we, we don't shrink back, right? So as true believers, we're called not to just live in fear w- without confidence. Actually, we're called to, to have confidence. We're encouraged to be confident, but not in ourself, not in our ability to not sin, not in our ability to stay out of trouble, Um but we're to have confidence in something else. And Hebrews 11 gives us four markers of faith. Why? So that we don't shrivel and, and, and shrink and go backwards. So, so that we're not timid. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be faithful. We have the anchor of our soul. He wants us to be like that anchor fixed. But we don't gain approval by, by works. We gain it by faith. 
So how does that work? Well, the first marker of faith is we see an undeniable uh, commendation, an undeniable commendation. The second marker of faith is going to be an an unforgettable uh, look at some characters. Then the third mark or marker of faith is unbelievable homeland promise. Then the fourth marker of faith is underlying context. So the first marker is this, is a marker of faith is undeniable commendation. Verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So what's happening here? Well, there's a, an undeniable de- definition here from, from God of, of what faith is. And if you think about it, how would you define faith? If not for this great and amazing uh, direct definition that we get from God. Faith is assurance. Think of that word assurance. It's a sure thing. It's, it's secure, right? Faith. As, as we would think of it, is, is something that is totally not sure. I don't know. It's, I'm just living by faith. I'm just winging it here, right? No, that, that, that's not God's definition of faith at all. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. So being sure of what? Of future promises. Future promises like heaven. Now, when you think of it that way, now, now that is faith. Faith is having that absolute confidence, 100% assurity that when we die, those who have bowed the knee before the throne of God, those who have confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ was died, buried, and rose again, those are going to, by faith, by grace, be saved and be in the presence of God. I'm sure of it. Now that's faith. Faith is the the, the extension then of not just being sure, but ha- having conviction, it's doubling down, right? I, I love this aspect of it. It's not just kind of, you know, well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, does it get any more secure than that? Yeah, it's going to double down. It's, it's now taking that assurance and moving it into conviction. And that's actually what we're going to see in the examples in Hebrews 11 are men and women who then take the assurance, I know this to be true, that which I can't see, and now I'm going to live as though this is true. Conviction, right? Expectation. Expectation. Um, And so, unlike Hebrews 10.27, where if you keep sinning willfully, you should expect judgment... Actually, you can have assurance and expectation for heaven. And, and I love how this gets turned around right away. Right away. This, this is the type of God that we have. Yes, there is, is the hard fact truth of there is judgment. There is wrath. There is a hell. There is an expectation for that if you have unrepentant sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. 
And so first we see kind of this, this great uh, definition of faith. James uh, 1.6 says that, you know, faith has no doubt. Faith has no doubt. In James 1, it says, you know, it gives this picture of being like in the, you know, in the, in the surf, in the waves. And if you've ever been to the ocean and, and kind of watched the, the surf and how it goes. And, and it's amazing because you can see something just kind of sitting there in, in, in between the surf and just kind of goes back and forth. It just, it bobbles, right? It's like, well, which way is it going to end up? Which way is it going to go? Don't know. No, that's not the kind of faith that, that, that God is talking about here. Revelation 3.16, uh, God explains it this way. It's like, you know, this I have against you. That, that you're lukewarm. Right? You, you, you don't really have that assurance. You don't really have that conviction. You're just lukewarm. And I spew you out of my mouth. Well, undeniable... Um, past constituents kind of come into play here. Um, For by it, men of old, men of old, gained approval. We are so blessed to have God's word, to have a a, a categorical, historical, factual documentation of real life, real people that are, are past constituents, right? That remind us of what faith looks like. We see examples of what faith doesn't look like as well. But, but the men of old, and, and here's the cool thing. They didn't have the Bible. I'm always amazed at this. As I'm reading through and reading the story so many times, what comes into my mind, oh yeah, this reminds me of, right? This guy. This reminds me of this event. They didn't have that. They didn't have a written, documented um, Bible where maybe they had an understanding of, of stories that were passed on. But for us, and that's why it's a crime to have this book and not to read it. Because this then, this then is supposed to help you to have faith so that you have assurance, even though you weren't there. But you have faith, you have confidence, even in the Word of God as it's written. There's an undeniable uh, aspects here that we see, even though it's faith, we see that it's tied into creation. This is why creation, this is not an accident that creation is is attacked. Okay, this is... an amazing satanic ploy, right? To create doubt, to, to deny something that's happened. I mean, think about it this way. Um, the Bible. The Bible is attacked as God's word in the first lines of the Bible, in the beginning, God. That is the greatest attack that there is on the Bible by challenging creation. If there's no creation, there's no creator, there is no beginning, there's no God close the book, came over, right? I don't need to read 2,000 pages to, to go any further. There is no God if you can disprove creation by throwing in something like evolution. Um, so, 
as we're talking about faith here and the undeniability of, of things, well, God's word here says by faith, because we weren't there, right? Anybody there? I know we got some old folks here, but we, we weren't there. He might have been. He was on the boat. Arden couldn't have been in the beginning because there was a flood and he wouldn't have... It was, Noah's the oldest we get with Arden. But, um, but by faith, we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Um, it's interesting. God doesn't really attempt to, to go into a bunch of details um, or, 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 or fact-finding, uh, you know, documentation. It's a self-evident given. God created. Creation. It, it's self-evident. It's the idea, again, behind, like, intelligent design. I mean, nobody drives down the street, sees a building, and goes, wow. I mean, I just, the, the millions of years of the wind blowing and the rain and the sand tossing and the trees falling down and made that building. That's incredible. I'm in, I'm in awe. No, you think, I wonder who designed that. It was the architect. It's a construction company that did that. What guys built that? You know, they use hammers, nails, or screwdrivers. I mean, right? You, you clearly, clearly understand. It's, it's, it's visible. Uh, Romans 1 talks about this. And so the first mark of our faith is Look, there's undeniable proof text for it if, if we want to see it, if we really want to see it. The men of old, um, the word of God, creation itself cries out. And this is there to help keep us from shrinking back. I was thinking the other day, what is that one thing if I could really anchor into my children? Because, you know, we've... we've They've been in a lot of sermons. They've heard a lot of Bible, you know, from the table. And for me, I keep going back to creation in the, in the beginning. If, if that can be undermined, then, then the whole house comes down, right? So all these other little details and so, you know what? If, if all that needs to happen is that, you know, like God really didn't create everything, then the ability to shrink back would, would actually be pretty, pretty easy. Well, the second marker of faith is unforgettable um, character. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. I'm, I'm always amazed at these events that happen that still speak, right? It still speaks. Well, what happened between Cain and Abel still speaks. Uh, you you want to talk about sin having consequences, right? I mean, imagine if you sin today and, you know, four or 5,000 years later, people were reading about it, you know, in a book. Wow, that's... But it still speaks. And, and, and what happened with Cain and Abel? I, I love that we have the, the event in, in Genesis, but then we have a follow-up in Hebrews. Because what we see is Cain and Abel both offer a sacrifice. 
and one is, is unworthy. And we think to ourselves, if you're just reading in Genesis, well, well, what's the problem? Was it because it was grain or, or, or fruit and it was supposed to actually be, um, you know, the, 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 the meat, the lamb, the calf sacrifice? Or was it just a heart issue? We're not directly told except that we know through verse 4, by faith, Abel made his offering. His confidence then was, was reckoned to him as righteous. His faith was reckoned to him as righteous. It, 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 it's the, what was being offered isn't the key element. It was what was happening inside of him. And we see by, by Cain's response that his countenance had fallen, right? He was angry inside when, when God confronts him. And I just, you know, sorry, kids, I think of my own kids. And it's like, you know, they walk in the, in the house and you ask them something simple. You don't think any big deal. And you can almost see on their face right away, something's not right. Something about their countenance, right? They don't want to hear that. But it's true. You can see it. You know it. You wish you had a Polaroid. You go, this is what I'm talking about right here. This look, right? <laughs> well, see, that's how God is all the time. He, he, he and, and we can be stone-faced, but he still can see what's going on in here. And so we're told here that one of the markers is, you know, you, you have to have like true character. Character is who you are when nobody's looking, Right? When people are watching you, you know, we can rise to the occasion, be nice and sweet and kind and do the right thing. But what about when nobody's there? Who are you when nobody's watching or, or when you think nobody's watching? Well, we see Abel, he inside, he offered this better sacrifice. We see an example of, of Enoch by faith. Enoch, and we don't know a lot about Enoch other than God just took him up, was taken up so that he should not see death. Why? Why did this guy get taken up so that he didn't have to see death? Well, he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Think about this for a second. The reason Enoch was taken up was he pleased God. We don't know what he did, how he did it, why. It just, it was pleasing to God. Now, you are no different than Enoch because it is impossible without faith to please God. If you have faith, then you can be taken up too. And that might be before you die or it might be after you die. But it's the, the key here is the faith that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. His character was pleasing to God. His faith was pleasing to God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 
what came first, the chicken or the egg? Noah, I am going to flood the world. I'm going to judge the world. What came first? Him making the ark or him believing what God was saying? That he believed in what God was saying, that conviction led him to action. The faith came first. Noah had no example of a worldwide flood. If somebody came to you today and said, hey, I'm going to bring a a worldwide flood, or somebody said, I'm going to lick up the whole town with fire, you may have some, oh, that, that was like Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, that was like Noah. Noah doesn't have that at all. And yet he is moved to action. He's moved to action. A hundred years. A hundred years of action of building an ark before anything happens. So this wasn't just like a a really fast, quick decision, right? A hundred years of building, building, building. I don't know why. I mean, still building. Why? He actually had that kind of conviction that I know this is going to happen, so I must act, right? It's it's an amazing account. Um, Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Two keys here. He obeyed. God spoke, he listened, he did, he obeyed, and he didn't know. Again, it's so easy for us to go, oh, what's the big deal? Noah moved towns, right? I used to, you know, I mentioned earlier the a, a place where I used to lead in, in, in worship and singing and uh, was, it was a rehab place. Primarily, uh, most of the guys were, were gang affiliated um, and And so they had been in trouble with the law. They had been in trouble with gangs. They had been in trouble with with drugs and drinking and kind of all that beautiful stuff put together in one bag, right? Well, the amazing thing is in L.A., in L.A., you've you've got, you know, a lot of the town is gridded, you know, and you've got blocks and city blocks and that kind of a thing. And you have turf. You have different gangs. You have black gangs. You have Mexican gangs. You have Asian gangs. But then those gangs, they have divisions of gangs, you know, right? And so it was amazing to go through the Old Testament with these guys because there were certain things that they keyed in on that we don't. We think, wee, Abraham got to move. How fun, right? And they think, oh, wait a minute. He's going to move from town A to town B without permission? He ain't coming in our town, right? We have, we have turf. We have territory. And by the way, to get from A to B, well, to get to A to Z, you got to go through B, C, D, E, right? All these different towns, you think they just say, hey, how's it going? Come, friend, you know, let, let me minister to you. Every single step. And if you've been in L.A., from East L.A. to Compton, at 2 o'clock at night, good luck. Good luck to you. Remind me of that movie, The Warriors, you know? Um, And so we take this for granted, but this was great faith of obedience, great conviction, great action, not knowing he went. 
by faith, verse 9, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, verse 11, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. I love this one. What a great example again of of Sarah's character. This is what I love about this. If you're familiar with the story in Genesis 18, verse 12, God tells Sarah, who is beyond her her baby-bearing years, you're going to have a child. What does Sarah do? Praise God, I knew it, right? This is going to happen. Go get the, go paint the, the spare room, you know, baby blue or whatever. She laughs at God. I love this. Why do I love this? She's human. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. This can't happen. At this point, we would challenge her faith. God is so good because at first she denies that this can happen. But at a, at a certain point, it goes from laughing to confidence. And how do we know this? Hebrews 11, 11. Since she considered him faithful. When she took her eyes off of herself, when she took her eyes off of the current situation, and she put her eyes on the creator of the universe, the, the God who created the earth out of nothing, you know, little babies, no big deal, right? She considered God faithful. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He's faithful. Her confidence then is, is secure and sure because of God. And that then leads her to her faith. And we wouldn't know this if we didn't have this little nugget. We, we, we would consider Sarah, oh, she was the one who laughed. We would be mocking her probably for 4,000 years. And we would be completely and totally wrong. And I love that because, side note, we need to be careful how we think and look at other people, right? Because guess what? You don't know what's going on in here. You don't know what's going on in somebody's heart and mind and to judge somebody else's faith. And so that's why, again, the character of who you are, your actions uh, really do speak louder than words. The things that you do to show that you have confidence in God, um, they count to God. His marker is that the people of character put their hope on him, trusting in him as being faithful. And so that will help you, even if you start off slow, even if you don't start off the right way, to not ultimately shrink back, right? Well, third marker we see, it's there's, there's a promise of this unbelievable homeland. Verse 13, all these people, by the way, died in faith. Enoch, well, not Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, right? They all died in faith without receiving the promises. They didn't receive the promises. They didn't know anybody else who received the promises either. 
again, we can look back and go, we know what happened with Israel in the promised land. We know that God took Abraham out and put him back in. We know that God took Israel out and put him back in many, many times with the Babylonians and the Persians and, you know, the Romans and, and, you know, it's happened throughout their history. We've seen that God keeps completing his promise. But they didn't have this. They died having never seen this. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. A better country. And, I, and, I, and this next statement is so key because it wasn't about the dirt in Israel. That's not the promised land. The promised land, verse 16, is that is a heavenly one. A heavenly one. The hope, the expectation of heaven. Right? So your faith and your hope and your expectation in, in, in even that, that unbelievable promise of this homeland, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There are passages like this that, that really strike a chord with me, because I think, you know, of all the things knowledge-wise, doctrine-wise, theology-wise, that you think you need to know and understand, when I think of things like the gate is narrow, right? You know, then I see something like this and I go, you know, can it be just as simple as having enough faith and, and assurance and conviction that, that heaven really exists, that that becomes kind of that wedge that opens the door to heaven for you? Not that you're like a great theologian, but that you actually understand there's a hell, there's a heaven, there, there's a Satan, there's a God. Um, I choose this team. I understand what's at stake here. And, and I want to go to a better country, a heavenly one. And that conviction and that hope is your faith. Is that enough? It would appear that God would not be ashamed of one who ultimately has this at least beginning of, of faith and confidence. It's a marker. A marker of our faith is believing in that unbelievable homeland. So why? How does this help us? Look. I have so much confidence in God and to be on his team that I'm not going to shrink back and follow other gods and follow other ideologies and other ways because I believe in this. I want heaven. I want to go be with my family. I'm going, right? It's kind of that kind of faith. Well, the final marker is they have this understanding of an under lying confidence they're, they're, they're confidence in, in the context of, of what's taking place around them 
How so? Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he who, to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendant shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob, and he saw even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. What, what was it about their faith that understood kind of context? And what's context? Context when we say, oh, that person took my words out of context, right? What does that mean? Well, it's kind of that idea that you, know, you, need, so, you need some more information, some more background, a, a full picture or story of the situation. You need like all the history to understand the context of what's taking place here. And somehow by faith, these people had a, an understanding in the context of what was taking place that was beyond the present for them. So, Abraham. Abraham is told, you need to offer your son Isaac. Whoa, that is an unbelievable request made by God. What is by faith Abraham understand? He understands this. Verse 19, that God is able to raise men even from the dead. His confidence and his faith in God was so sure, so confident that he would be willing to slay his own son knowing what? His son wouldn't stay in the grave. That's why he was able to do that. Again, we wouldn't know if we didn't have the complete context. But before Abraham goes to, to slay his son, in the back of his mind, he has a context of a God will raise him from the dead. So I'm not worried about it by faith. Because he has no literal means by which to really believe in this other than in context, Abraham knows his God. This is not how his God is. This is not Yahweh's character. This is how the pagan gods operate. The pagan gods want you to sacrifice your kids. The pagan gods ask you to do these things, not Yahweh. And so he knows then that Yahweh must have a different plan. By faith, Isaac offers or blesses Jacob and Esau. Uh, we start to see a pattern of our Old Testament patriarchs, where, where they, they bless the second son, they bless the, the lowly. They're, they're not, they don't bless the people that you traditionally would think would be the heirs of the promise, right? And how is that? Well, because they have a, a, a different understanding of the context of, of, of choice, the context of, of being picked, the context of being given an inheritance that isn't due to you by any means, not even by birthright. 
And that becomes the basis of our salvation, of, of being picked and chosen and getting an inheritance, an inheritance more of adoption rather than an inheritance of birthright. So we see that pattern being established. We, we, we see um, <clears throat> this idea here of Joseph. And, th- and this is a, a powerful faith statement by Joseph. Joseph, when he's dying, remember Joseph and he was sold into slavery and, and Joseph makes his way, you know, through his adventures by God blessing him all the way to the second man of Egypt. Joseph dies a slave. He, he, he's a slave his entire life, but he's a second guy in Egypt. And before he dies, which is an incredible statement of his faith, he says, I want my bones buried in Israel. Yeah, you have to understand that 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 is a hope and an expectation and a confidence that his people are going to have their land secured tribe by tribe. And guess where he wants his bones? I want my bones over there because that's where my family is going to be generation to generation forevermore. And it's a great statement of faith, and that's why it's listed here. But these guys had this this hope and this vision for something that wasn't even there. What's ours? Where's our context today for living? Going back to, again, the idea of of, of Hebrews 10, where where we're confronted with, with sin and we're confronted with trials. How do we, by faith, have the assurance of things hoped for and conviction of things not seen? Well, it all begins by putting all our faith, hope, and confidence in, in God's word. We're, we're going to have struggle in life. We're going to have struggle in relationships. How do you parent? How do you uh, carry on your marriage? How do you conduct business? Where do you put your hope? Do you put your hope in horses and chariots? Do you put your hope in silver and gold and 401ks and IRAs? Do you put your hope in business? Do you put your hope in in that that person sitting next to you is such an amazing, sinless, holy, godly person that that's going to fix all our problems? No, we we put our hope and faith in in trusting that if we do and if we obey what God's word tells us to do, we may suffer. We may suffer our whole life. But I can promise you this, and you can have confidence in this, that when you die, you will have a new glorified body, And you will spend an eternity in heaven side by side with the Lord God Almighty forevermore in heaven. Maybe more importantly, you will not suffer the wrath of hell for eternity forevermore. That's a promise. And so we too then should live today in the context of a future faith. Can I put off temporary, earthly, carnal, fleshly, sinful things that today would probably give me some satisfaction for something for forever? 
that's that's what you're gambling against, right? When you take the now, when you give in to the temptation now, when, when you when you take your pride and say, I will not forgive them. I'm not going to forgive this person for the next five or ten years. And what's at stake? My eternity? That doesn't make any sense at all. But if your confidence is in the here and the now, then you're going to do everything that you can to hedge your, your selfless, selfish desires for the here and the now, as opposed to something that's for the future. But these are hard things to understand. And so God gives us these examples. And we'll continue to look next week at some, some other uncompromising heroes and heroines of, of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly